0: Up to John 19. So, um, I don't know if you know this, but the rabbis typically taught while they were seated. Um, They would sit somewhere, and other people would either sit or stand, depending on how far away they could see. But the teacher would usually sit. Jesus often sat. Jesus was a Pharisee, a rabbi, um, and so he would often sit, but sometimes he would walk around which is called peripatetic, when you walk around while you talk. That's the way the Greeks did it. So Jesus did it both ways. I usually walk around, today I'm sitting. Not because that's how Jesus did it, but because I'm super sick, and I don't think I can stand the rest of the time. Um, I was sick last week, and then I got better, like, kind of right before Sunday, and then I got sick again Sunday night. And I'm a little dizzy and a little out of it. Um, So Sarah is going to be my heresy check, just to make sure. You can, you can also catch me, but I'm more concerned about saying something wrong uh, than I am about falling over. Um, John 19. So this is the crucifixion of Jesus. Today it's going to be more of a Good Friday sermon because we're not having a service on Good Friday. And so at this point, Jesus is on the cross. He's reached the end of his earthly journey. He, he's hung on the cross for a few hours now. So he's already been betrayed. He's been beaten. He had the crown of thorns put on him. He's been whipped to within an inch of his life. And he had to carry the cross up the hill. All that stuff has already been happened. He's been nailed to the cross. He's been on there for a few hours now at this point. So this is, this is nearing the end. And this is the point in history where the creator of the universe... Allows himself to die for his creation. Which is very unusual, to say the least. Um, And it's this is one of those beautiful human moments of Jesus. You know, sometimes it's easy to read. We know Jesus is God. And it's easy to read the the scriptures and be like, yes, he's God. And assume he's acting divinely at every moment. And, of course, he is. He's 100% God. But he's also 100% human. And John... The Apostle John in all of his books, John and all the epistles of John as well, John is very concerned about showing us the humanity of Jesus and how real Jesus was. So in John's gospel, the first miracle is he made a bunch of wine at a wedding, right? It doesn't get more normal than that, more human than that. He didn't even want to do it, but his mom asked him to. And so he did it to obey his mom. Again, human. So John's always concerned with showing the humanity of Jesus, and it's really poignant here. Um, in the story on the cross. And so Jesus wants to say some final words, final words that are very important, but he literally can't get the words out because he's been beaten so bad, his his lips are broken up, his tongue is probably swollen. Uh, This is an arid climate, very, very dry, so this is all caked on and and nasty. He literally can't can't get any words out. And so um, verse 28 of John 19 after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of sour wine and raised it to his lips. Or held it to his mouth. On, um, sorry, on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And so he needs to literally wet his whistle to get a few more words out. And so that's why this is happening. And this is the second drink that Jesus is offered during the crucifixion. Um, And sometimes they get confused the first time. He's on his way to the cross. So he hasn't quite made it to the hill yet of Golgotha. Um, And he is offered myrrh or gall mixed with wine. And that was a common thing. There was a a group of women in the Roman territories who, when people were about to be crucified, they would come with painkillers, just as an act of mercy. And so they offered Jesus myrrh, which is a painkiller, nasty tasting, but it kills the pain, uh, and wine. So they offered that to Jesus, and that's in Matthew 27. And it says he tasted it and he didn't take it. He didn't drink it. So why if you're on your way to be crucified, he's already in tremendous pain at this point because the beatings, the whipping, everything has happened at this point. He's already in tremendous pain. That painkiller had to sound really good to him. I would have drank the whole thing, right? Um, so what do you think? Why doesn't he? That could be. Here, Sarah, could you pass the mic like back? So Ann said he has an important word, things to say. Um, he wants to be able to finish with a clear head. That's, I think that could be part of it, yeah. Eddie. Um, he
1: wants to be able to bear like the full pain of our sins. And um, I just remember like, learning, you know, if he were to drink um, that, like it's not bearing the full pain of our sins. And he wants to do that. He doesn't want any outside help from anything. He, he has to.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's the main thing. I think that's the main thing, It's that um, the, the night before he was betray, or the night he was betrayed in Gethsemane. Remember, he's praying very fervently that the suffering wouldn't have to happen, right? And he's talking about the physical suffering, but also the emotional and spiritual suffering, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and Jesus did not want to go through this, so he's not a masochist. Okay, he's like, God, if there is any way seriously, I would like to get out of this. Seriously. He was so fervent in his prayer and in his desire to not go through that that it said he sweat blood. So he's breaking capillaries as he's sweat, sweating and crying. Um, and yet here he is. He, de- he does it anyway. He goes with it. He drinks the cup. Um, the cup is, re- is a reference to suffering. Um, and that's true in the communion, by the way. The cup is a reference to suffering as well. Um, And the disciples talk about that. So he goes through it. And here, I think, is a temptation to lessen some of that suffering. And Jesus chooses not to do that. Anne?
2: I also have a question, though, about the flogging. Isn't it true that because the flogging was so horrible, it wasn't usually done that you were both flogged and crucified? That was considered to be too much? Um, I've often wondered if the flogging was Satan's attempt to kill him and keep him from the cross
0: it's possible um i don't know that the anything about the cross itself or the shape or the the wood or anything like that had any sort of special necessity that jesus had to do it he had to suffer and die for us is what he had to do and so there there were prophecies about it but god can make that happen he doesn't need to worry about that um the whole passion and suffering is all part of the atonement. It's all part of the same thing. So the whipping, the beating, the crown of thorns, that's all part of it. So it's not just what happens on the cross. It's, it's everything. Um, but you're right, 40, 40 lashes with the cat-o'-nine-tails was considered a death sentence, and he got 39. So I think they might not have expected him to make it to the cross. It's why he couldn't physically carry the cross all the way up to the Hill. There was a man named Siren, an African. Um, who was there from Cyrene, and Simon carried the rest cross the the rest of the way for Jesus. Um, Because he physically collapsed, he couldn't do it anymore. Um, He also died fairly quickly for crucifixion. Um, He didn't make it that long. Um, People usually last longer in crucifixion than Jesus did. A lot of that is because of the lack of blood um, and all that kind of stuff and the suffering, and because he had finished what he needed to do. So he didn't hang out any longer than he needed to. But he did need to hang out for a while, I mean, he went through all that and then he was on there for hours. And then he said, I thirst. And the reason he needed to, the reason he denied that first cup, the medicinal one, which again, I would have taken that whole barrel, right? Because you're in so much pain, you can't even think, you can't see. His eyes were probably literally mostly blinded, you know, from just the beating. And he said no to that because he needed to go through the suffering, he needed to experience the suffering. And uh, this is a whole other sermon, but if we look throughout the Gospels, suffering is actually really important. And we don't talk about it a lot in America because nobody likes suffering. And we tend to preach only about things that we like. Um, But the reality is, is suffering, life is suffering, period. It's just a fact. Life is suffering. And as we follow Jesus, we can expect some more trouble, not less. And some people, when they're saved, get kind of sold a bill of goods that, hey, come sign up for Jesus and everything's going to be perfect. He's like a magic wand to like make everything awesome. And the truth is that Jesus will be with you in all times, even the most difficult times, even the midst of that horrible suffering, even when you're in the ER and you don't know what's wrong. Um, Jesus is with you and he never leaves you or forsakes you even in the midst of that. But he doesn't, we don't have a get out of suffering free card for everything. And part of that is the way it's supposed to be, and it's important. And we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, but Jesus understood that, and he understood that in order to accomplish something here, he had to go through suffering, and he had to feel the full weight of it, as you were saying, the full pain, the full everything, because that experience was part of the punishment for our sin. Because God, uh, sin creates a separation between us and God, but it's also, it also requires a punishment, you break the law, you get punched, you have a fine, you go to jail, whatever it is, right? And we've all broken a lot of laws, and add that times, all humans forever, including the future. And God accepted Jesus' sacrifice and poured all the wrath and all the punishment of all that sin out on Jesus. So that's an extreme weight for him to bear. And the physical suffering was part of that weight Why he even try it? Um, I'm guessing he, he wasn't sure what it was. Somebody shoved something to his mouth and he's like, what? No, no, I don't want that. Again, he probably could barely see and that sort of thing. Again, that's a very human moment of Jesus. You're like, didn't you prophetically know Jesus that that's what it was? He was a little preoccupied. <laughs> his brain could barely function, the human the aspect of his brain, because he isn't so much. For those of you who've been in tremendous pain, you know what that's like. OK, so again, this is so Jesus is so weak here. It's ridiculous. Here's my God. He can't even tell what drink someone's put into his lips unless he tastes it. But that's how weak and vulnerable he is. There are a couple hands. Um, just the
3: creed, just going back to that. And could you talk about the OK, he suffered
0: tremendously physically on the cross and everything, but three days in hell. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I
3: don't think that's talked about much.
0: It isn't. Yeah, it's not talked about much. He he went. He died for real, like everybody else before him had ever died, every other human. And he went to Sheol, the place of the dead, just like all other humans had. But he was different because he had, he had won the victory on the cross. And so he, he said he preached to everybody who was there and that he led the captives free. And he came out with the keys of death and of hell which is a, an idiom in Greek, Hades, literally. Um, and so it's, that's part of the, the theology called Christus Victor. It's the victorious Christ. So it, he appears to die and fail on the cross, but then he's actually victorious even over death, and he comes back and is raised again. Um, and so as far as what happened in hell, we have no idea. Uh, I assume it'll be on the extended edition of History of Earth on 4K Blu-ray when we get there and I look forward to watching it because I think that's all interesting and strange. Andy. Just to add on to that, um,
1: when our grandson died, I thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. I was in.
2: And the only thing that finally gave me a little comfort to feel like God would have any clue what this felt like was that moment on the cross when he turned his back on his son. So, zillions of people have been crucified and excruciating the weight of our sin put on him and then to be
0: separated, separated was beyond what we can even take in, and
2: I think that's obviously the piece that made it different than any other crucifixion. It wasn't the only one right. crucified, it wasn't the only one suffering. So to stay in a mental state in the midst of all of that, to endure what was going on on this Mm-hmm. and he's not the only one which doesn't make it how awful it was. Right. We have no idea what it must have felt like to be ripped from the father.
0: It's true. The spiritual and emotional pain and, and we'll and get there in a minute but was happened. worse yeah, it than the physical.
2: That the father couldn't even look at him.
1: I can't yep. even imagine yeah. what that would have
0: been like. it's, it's nuts. Well, is one of the be with me in paradise? time after death is a question mark. Um, the Bible says absence from the body is presence with the Lord. So there's a sense in which we're instantaneously with the Lord, those of us who are in Christ. Jesus also talks about death as falling asleep. So maybe it's more like waking up after a night's sleep and then we're in heaven. We don't know. And I I think he doesn't want us to know too much about it because he doesn't want us to dwell on the how. He wants us to dwell on the where. (laughs) Because of the who. (laughs) Jesus. Right? Um, And paradise was a common word that was used for (laughs) Sheol, the place of the dead. There was like, if you want to think of it, there was a good part and a bad part. (laughs) There was a place where the righteous God-fearing people went and some called that paradise. And then there were others. But again... The timing of everything and exactly what we don't know. It's, it's pretty mysterious. But Maybe you could address this another time, mm-hmm. the,
2: the passages from, from Peter. Sure. Where, where, the theology, where there's a differences of views on this and how Jesus went down. But it's a great subject.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah. I think we can do that at some point. So uh, he said no to the painkiller, right, the sour wine. He said no to that. And, but on the cross, he did say, I thirst. And they lifted up sour wine, which is vinegar. Um, like probably a cheap version of balsamic vinegar, Um, sour, not yummy. Um, And that is to fulfill the scripture, John says, which is Psalm 69, 19 through 21. And I'm going to read it. So this is a prophetic psalm of Jesus on the cross. You know my my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. All my foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart. There's what Anne was sharing. So that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, not even from the Father. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And so this is um, David prophetically looking forward at the cross that Jesus experienced. And so you see in that passage, and it's in a lot of other passages as well, that it wasn't just about the pain on the cross. It was about the sorrow and the despair of it because, um, well, we'll we'll get to that in just one second. Um, So he, he asked for a drink. They take a sponge. They put it on a hyssop branch, and they lift it to his mouth. We talked about that when we talked about Passover. Anybody remember the hyssop branch, what that was used for? Yeah. (laughs) That tells the whole story. That tells the whole story. It does. So the Hebrews in the first Passover used a hyssop branch to dip in the lamb's blood to put on the door and on, um, on the side posts of the door. And so that's what let the angel of death know to pass over that house. They were protected by the blood of the lamb. And so... The hyssop branch being used here to give uh, Jesus a wine is meant to remind us of that. And certainly all the Jews who are you know, understanding the story, they would get that right away because it's Passover time. You know, so they've just read the story last night. And they're like, whoa, okay. Is this the Lamb of God? Is that what's happening right now? Which, of course, it is. Jesus is the Lamb of God once and for all, uh, giving that sacrifice that protects us ultimately from death. Like we were talking about, because death isn't an end anymore, it's not an enemy anymore. Death is just one step in our eternal life. From part one to part two or whatever. However you want to look at it. Um So this, this whole passage looks at the humanity of Jesus and it's really, really poignant. I mean, he can't even get his words out. And vinegar on a bunch of cuts, not pleasant. So he's not really doing this because he's thirsty. He says, I thirst, to fulfill the prophecy. But he's doing it to wet his whistle so that he can say other things. Namely, it, um, it is finished, and my, which we'll talk about next week. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's a difficult one to understand. But because, as you were saying, because God the Father placed all the punishment and wrath for our sins on Jesus... Sin in the Old Covenant creates a separation between us and God because God is holy and we're not and so sin creates that separation and Jesus had never sinned. Obviously God was one with himself all the time but now all the sin and all the punishment for that was placed on Jesus and so now there was a separation for the first time in eternity past. A separation between part of the Trinity and like you were saying, we can't understand the kind of despair and pain he was going through in that moment, emotionally and spiritually. Because, I mean, we can imagine it. We have grandchildren, children, parents. When we lose loved ones that we spent a lot of time with, it's very painful and difficult. But this is God, who is, they're one. They're so close, right? They are one being. They share a being, in essence, forever, forever forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, all the way back. And so that was a pretty strong bond. It literally doesn't get any stronger than that, right? Uh, The bonds of marriage and family are meant to mimic that, which is why when God created us, he said he made us in his image. And that bond of marriage and children, like that is meant to be an image of God himself, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But at that moment, they were separated, and Jesus died a human death and went to hell, just like every other person had died before him. And so the, the, we can't possibly understand. I think in heaven, God's going to let us in on it. People talk about how there, there will be no despair and sorrow in heaven. I think that's true in the sense of we won't have despair and sorrow. But I think God is going to let us experience some of what he went through on the cross. Because we have to understand that to understand him. Does that make sense? So I think there will be a time in heaven where we get to learn more about the suffering of Christ and exactly what that was and what that felt like. Because that will just naturally increase our love for him, right? Because Jesus said, who has been forgiven much loves much. And so the more we understand what he went through to forgive us, I think the more we love him.
3: That his
0: father was forsaking
3: him. Mm-hmm. He wanted us to know that. So.
0: Yep, and I think all of us under the old covenant are forsaken in that sense, and so we experience that separation. Some of us were too young maybe to remember it, but we all have that. We all experience that separation from God before we're in Christ. Also, I think we all feel that. We all feel like God has forsaken us sometimes. And although I think most of those times he hasn't, we're just looking at our situation from our human eyes and we don't see the full scope of it because Jesus said he'll never leave us. Never leave us. So we know that ontologically, like, in truth, he doesn't abandon us or forsake us, but sometimes it feels that way. Our feelings, our experience of Jesus is such that I don't feel him right now. I don't experience him right now. I feel like God has forsaken me. And God is very comfortable painting himself in that negative light, even when it's untrue. It happens a lot of times in scripture. Jesus paints the father as an unjust judge and as a friend who's unwilling to give up, to get up out of bed and give bread to people. And in all those stories, Jesus is saying, now this isn't how God actually is, but this is how you think of him. And even if it were true, if you just keep praying, you're still going to get your prayers answered.
3: I'm turning my back on you. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, he always did it for our benefit, for their yep. benefit. So he separated himself from relationship with us yep. because of the choices of Israelites, right? Poor choices. Yep. I, I, I can't be around you, dude, right now, our people.
0: Yep, that's the old covenant in a nutshell. Yeah, so. Is that I mean, sin leads to separation maybe from God?
3: Theologically, often.
0: You can't, you can't have the relationship, no. No, because someone who is not in Christ is still under the old covenant, essentially. Um, the new covenant only exists in the blood of Jesus. It's only through him that we are saved. And so if you're not in Christ, um, that separation still exists. And God is merciful, and so he, might, he still reveals himself sometimes to people to encourage them to keep seeking him and to keep moving towards him. Sometimes people even hear God Again, that loving, he's the, that's, but that's the shepherd going after the lost sheep. They're, they're lost. They're not saved and confused. They're lost. Um, the Bible's very clear that Jesus' blood was a once and for all thing for all sin, for all creation, for all time. But in order to have that count, to have that appropriated for us, we have to be in Christ. So we have to submit. To God and receive that and then we're adopted into the family. It's free gift for everybody. Everybody can have it. Everybody can enter into salvation and enter into that relationship. But sadly, people choose not to do that. Well, I mean, it, and, and I think a yeah. lot of, you know, people get very confused by that because they got the prodigal and the father just pursuing the son and so mm-hmm. excited of his return. But that return of that son was what made Right. right? So yep. Yep. And that's, that's what it's like to be under the old covenant, yeah. is that he's forsaken you because you walked away. Right. You're like the prodigal who left. Um, and, you know, in Christ, the beauty of the cross and what Jesus did for us is he washes over all that so we can enter back in. So that now that when we are in Christ, God adopts us into his family. It says he placed us in Christ and placed the Holy Spirit in us. So we're always in the presence of God now. It's the opposite of separation. Once we're in God, we're constantly in the presence of God. And the more we think and realize in our minds that we are in the presence of God at all times, you don't have to pray yourself into the presence of God or worship yourself into the presence of God. We're always there. Sometimes we experience something we call the presence of God, which is true. It's a tangible thing. Sometimes we experience that in worship or in prayer. But in reality, we're always there. We don't summon the Holy Spirit. He's here. We can't escape him. Right? Um, And uh, yeah, so it's literally, the new covenant is literally the opposite of the old. In the old, we're separated, in the new, we can't get away. It's beautiful. trying to earn really daddy's hinders, approval just like when you're a little kid yeah
2: that really hinders your perspective on those who don't know him when your heart is broken and you realize how much he loves them because he loved us while we were still sinners he died for us while we were still sinners and if that's the kind of love he wants to put in us and give us for the those that don't know him yet it puts a whole different perspective on their <laughs> Turned his back on with the Old Testament. The pride of his children. We're the children of God. We have this. And he's like, do I don't have anything to do with that. That isn't what I called you to be of mine. So he had to separate and turn his back on all the evil things that they were doing with it. But his love, somehow his love has to remain constant or the whole thing doesn't work.
0: Because then it becomes a worse <laughs> relationship. And it can't be. Uh-huh. Preacher. Don't apologize. That was great. And it's true, because the reality is, I think a lot of Christians are, mentally, they don't do this. We know, yes, salvation is a free gift. It's from grace. It's because of what Jesus did. We know that up here, because we maybe went to Sunday school, or we've heard enough sermons or listened to podcasts. But deep down, where we actually live, where we actually believe in how we act in life, we act as if we're still trying to earn brownie points from Daddy trying to earn enough points so that we can receive more love, receive more favor, receive more affection, more blessings, more grace to cover our sin, whatever it is that we think we need from God that he's not giving us, we try to earn that deep down, and we think that the better we are and the more things we check off the list, and we all grow up with different lists, Right? Do I go to church? Do I read my Bible? Do I pray in tongues? We all have different lists. Others, the list would be, do I never pray in tongues? Because they think that's evil, right? And so we all have different lists. But this idea that if we check all these things off, that's what faithfulness means, and we earn brownie points with God. And that's just not true at all. There's only one thing that earns us the grace, the salvation, the love, the forgiveness, and favor, and everything else that comes from the cross, and that's the cross itself. That's what Jesus did for us. It's all free, which is, they call it good news. It's ridiculous news. It's amazing news. Everything we want in life, we already have in the heavenly places. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Every spiritual blessing has already been given to us. It already has our name on it. And so we don't live to earn those things, but we do live in such a way to position ourselves so that we can walk in those things and receive those things. And I've given this analogy a lot, but if it's hot and the AC is on, I need to stand in front of it to get that cool air, right? If I stand over here, I'm not going to get it. The AC is still on. God's blessing is still happening. All that stuff is still going on. But if I'm way over here, I'm not going to experience the fullness of the awesome AC on my head. Whereas if I position myself properly, and that's really, that's about... It's just about humility is basically what it's about. It's positional. Our position before God is on our knees with a crown on our head, but on our knees. And Jesus, when he's on the cross here, he is so ridiculously humble. I mean, think about everything that he let happen to himself. Humiliated, naked for all the world to see. Bruised, unrecognizable, it says. Unrecognizable didn't even look like a human anymore especially if we saw him from the back because it would have just been flesh and bone no skin at all so he suffered all of that humiliation for us so he is our example of humility he's the most humble thing that has ever happened so when god asks us to be humble in return he was willing to do it himself first and he's been more humble than we could ever be And Jesus on the cross, he doesn't use false humility. He doesn't stand up there saying, well, I'm not that big of a deal. God can't really use me. I'm too beaten and weak for God to use me. He doesn't say any of that silliness because that's not true. Humility isn't that. Humility is not making yourself out to be less than you are. Humility is agreeing with God that you are exactly who you are. Jesus knew exactly who he was on the cross. He was a suffering servant, but he was also the son of God, and he knew that, and he understood that, and humility is having the courage to walk in what God has called you to, and who he's called you to be, and so God has called us children. He's adopted us into his family through what Jesus did, children of the king of kings, and not just children, but heirs, meaning we inherit. We are princes and princesses, each one of us. That's what the Bible says. We are literally princes and princesses. In the spirit, we have a crown of royalty because we were adopted by the king of kings. And that is a real thing. But most of us do not enter into that. We do not accept that and receive that because we feel so worthy and blah, 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 blah. Because we still have this notion that our sin still separates us from God. But it doesn't. That changed a really long time ago. And Jesus went through a whole lot of horrible crap to make it so that we weren't separated from him anymore. That separation doesn't exist now. We are in Christ. His spirit is in us. Yes, we still sin, but we just confess and repent and we move on. It's it's done because the forgiveness was given 2,000 years ago. But we still live like, oh, I'm so terrible. I'm so weak. We walk around with our eyes down. And the king is on his throne going, you're my kid. What are you doing acting this way? That's not who you are. Be who you are. That's what humility is. Humility is having the courage to be who you are in Christ, who he has called you to be. He has called you holy and blameless and loved. He has said you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has said you are called to be ambassadors of him in this world. And an ambassador was someone who went out from the king with the authority of the king to judge trials and to order soldiers and to do all the other things that the king would do if you were there. That's what an ambassador did. Okay, And that's who we are. We have a crown, but we're still on our knees because even the prince and the princess still serve the king, right? We're not building our own kingdoms. We're not doing something for ourselves. We still serve the king. But if we want to be humble like Jesus was on the cross, we need to begin to understand who we actually are, who God is calling us to be, and we need to learn how to walk that way instead of walking like the destroyed little peasant It is just looking around the dirt for a few scraps to keep us alive. That's not who we are anymore. God found us there and He brought us to the palace and He adopted us and He washed us. And like the prodigal son, He put the robe on us and He put the family ring on us. He put shoes on us. He put a crown on our heads. That's who we are now. And if you can think of yourself everywhere you go when you're at work tomorrow, I'm a prince in the kingdom of God, I'm a princess. In the kingdom of God. What does that mean right now? What does that mean in this room that I'm in? What does that mean for this person who's talking really negatively about life, just normal negative stuff? What should I say as a princess in that situation? Maybe you say something positive. Because you can change the atmosphere, right? If we were all in a giant auditorium, there were thousands of people, and Prince Harry walked in, because he was visiting, you know, his wife's family or whatever. Everybody would freak out and stop talking and wait to see what he had to say or what he was going to do, right? That's how we are in the spirit. And God partners with us. We are his hands and feet now. We are the body of Christ now. We are his ambassadors, okay? Jesus isn't here except in the spirit. And he said, it's better if I go. And I'm sure the disciples were like, no, it's not. Stay here with us. I disagree with you, God. Again, that's pride. Disagreeing with God is pride. Jesus says, no, you don't get it. It's better for you if I go. Because then all of you can be ambassadors. So now there's millions of little Jesuses, and GZs, sure, Uh, all around the world. And that that is better. And we need to realize who we are, and we need to act like who we are. And we need to walk into the humility and authority that he's given us. And those two are not mutually exclusive. Jesus had all authority here on the cross on the cross despite being totally humiliated right and so for us humility is realizing that yes I do stink everybody stinks we've all screwed up none of us are worthy it's not a matter of worthiness remember we don't earn we're not earning it's not, this isn't earning Galatians 2.20 says I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me and I for me that was the key to understanding this I, like, repeated that verse all the time. I wrote it on my arm in Sharpie when I was in college. I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, My old self, my sin, my old nature, the old Nate, he was crucified on the cross with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to partake in his suffering. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that's, that's baptism. We die with Christ and we're raised something else. And the Bible calls that a new creature. Not human anymore. You're a new creature. You're something new that has been created for the very first time when we have the Spirit of God in us. And that might be helpful for you to just understand, yes, you're not worthy. That's not the point because you've been crucified with Christ. Your worth is irrelevant. Your skills are irrelevant. Your past and experiences are totally irrelevant. That's not that God might not use them to his glory but they're not a prerequisite for being in the kingdom or for being a prince or princess or for doing awesome things for God because none of that matters because it's not about your own worth. It's about the worth of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, help us to let you be worthy for us. Lord, we really struggle with this. I don't know if anybody else here struggles with this. I really struggle with this, always have. Most people I talk to have struggled with this. It's hard for us to walk in true humility, which means courageously doing what what you told us to do. It's hard for us to do that because we have this sense of unworthiness. And Lord, help us to understand that the cross is not about showing us how terrible we are. The cross is not about showing us how much we don't deserve. Once we're already in you, the cross is about reminding us that because of what you did, our worthiness doesn't matter anymore. We are worthy not because of ourselves, but because of you, Jesus. I pray that you would give us that revelation deep in our hearts that we could see ourselves the way you see us. Lord, when you look at us, you see us, you see who we are, but you see the righteousness of Jesus instead of our own filthy rags. Because those were burned. Our filthy rags were burned. We were washed clean. That's past tense. So you see the righteousness of Christ in us. You don't love us because of who we should be. You love us exactly as we are. But with the righteousness of Christ. Help show us, Lord. Drill this thing just deep in our hearts. Please, drill this deep in our hearts. We're not worthy. And that doesn't matter because of the cross. Lord, you are worthy, Jesus. And so on our knees, we just receive what you've done for us on the cross again and again. Most of us here are probably saved. If not, please talk to somebody before you leave today. But I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves again and receive again everything that the cross really meant, everything that your suffering really meant for us. That it would hit us this year like it hasn't hit us before. Not to bring despair or sorrow. You paid for our despair and sorrow on the cross. You took all of those things for us. Help us to walk in the victory and in the light of who it is that you have made us to be now. We are new creatures. Behold, the old is gone. The new is come. We thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that you would reveal that to our hearts by your Holy Spirit like only you can. And I pray that this week we would just continue to think, Lord, about your sacrifice, your suffering, what that means for us. And that it wouldn't lead us to some weird false humility where we don't feel worthy. But that every time we would feel that feeling again, that we would just hand that over to you. Just picture this with me. Some of you are visual. Maybe this will help you. When I feel that unworthiness thing, which I do, of course I do, I picture the cross in front of me, literally. I picture the cross in front of me and Jesus on the cross, and I like reach into my chest and somehow pull out that unworthiness and all that stuff, and I just hand it to him on the cross because that's what happens. God took all of that unworthiness, all of that shame, all of that punishment and he placed it on Jesus and Jesus took it willingly for us. He didn't suffer all of that so that we could live a half-life on earth. He didn't go through all of that so that we could have a terrible life full of sorrow and no victory at all. That's not why he went through that. He went through that so that we could his ambassadors. We could let go of the unworthiness of our past. Leave that at the foot of the cross and walk into what it is Jesus has called us to do. pray that you'd help us to do that, Lord, and help us to extend that same mercy to others in our life. I pray that we would not be that servant who was forgiven so much and then went out to the person who owed them and said, you better pay me back. Lord, I pray that we would be the people who realize how much we are forgiven and who graciously extend that mercy and that forgiveness to people in our life. And Lord, if there's anybody in our life right now that we need to forgive, I pray that you would just reveal that to our mind right now in Jesus' name. Who do we need to forgive? Father, I ask that throughout this week you would help us to genuinely, truly forgive that person. Not to bless or accept what it is they did, but to let them off the hook for the punishment and the payback of what they did, just like you did for us on the cross. Pray health and healing on all of us in Jesus' name. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to smile on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And since we took communion today, I want to just declare to all of you the forgiveness of all of your sins because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody.